0: and accelerate your success.
1: Welcome to the Beyond Bears podcast. I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. Have you ever been in a room full of powerful and influential people, but didn't know how to approach them? Or perhaps you needed a deal or an investment, but didn't have access to the right decision makers? Well, today we're speaking with Tammy Holzman, the Queen Connector, who shares with us Her journey from C-student to C-suite by building lasting relationships. She shares how your network fuels your net worth and why emotional intelligence matters even more in the digital age. Tammy is an investor, advisor, entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and author of the best-selling book, From C-student to the C-suite, a modern-day guide to business and relationships. Tammy began her career in the entertainment industry as a talent agent, show creator, and executive producer with development deals at NBC, HBO, and the Fox Network. She segued into a successful career leading global business development for a professional services company and was instrumental in driving revenue growth, which led to its acquisition by Accenture. Tammy also served as chief brand officer of the Plastic Bank, a social impact company turning waste into currency. Today, Tammy is a lead partner with Halogen Ventures and also contributes her expertise as a guest lecturer at UCLA, USC, and Loyola Marymount. In this episode, Tammy shares actionable strategies on getting access to powerful people, always creating value in relationships, and showing up confidently and authentically to level up in your career. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you will find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode including the best way to get in touch with Tammy. Tammy, welcome aboard. We're so excited to have you. Um, so you are this incredible uh, force of nature that is a formal corporate executive, you're an entrepreneur, an investor, a speaker, a coach and mentor, author of a best-selling book, and you're an incredibly kind person who's super authentic in every way. Um, a fashionista who knows how to throw fabulous parties and you give the best hugs. So welcome. We're so excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about your life story and how Tammy became Tammy.
2: With an intro like that, I think we should stop the interview now. (laughs) Um, How did I become Tammy? Um, That's a great question. Uh, I was a girl that probably in school Never felt like I was smart enough, I questioned myself, but I did have this crazy ability to form friendships and um, get things accomplished by my relationships in my path of my life. So it's very interesting. I would say I reinvented, I'm a story of reinvention. It was funny because in school I was thinking, what do I wanna do when I grow up? I wanna be in the entertainment business. I don't have to do reports. I can use my creative thought process. I can, I can use my tenacity, and I can win people over in a room, and that was great with the pitch. So I kept on thinking that might be a great area for me. So I started in the entertainment business, and that led me into the sports business. I think if you see opportunity along the way – and you're daring enough to go for it, then you should pivot because it's going to keep you excited and it's going to be fun. And from there, from being in the sports business, I actually failed. There was so much opportunity. It was in 2008 and the economy was tanking and I had to close down my entrepreneurial life and take a job. And again, it was my relationships that helped me get to that job because I had a crazy Rolodex and I had approached all the people I had met in my career. I, don't, I think one thing we should all think about as we meet people in our careers is meet interesting people. You, mm-hmm. you don't need the relationship maybe today, but you might need it tomorrow. So I had this great Rolodex of the potential for tomorrow's. And then I ended up nailing a job in a career I knew nothing about. And I built a web operations business and we ended up selling that to Accenture. And Um. then from there, I authored the book. And today I'm an investor and an advisor and constantly looking for what's next today, even now.
1: So that attitude of curiosity and daring. And, and just having fun along the way um, has allowed you to really switch lanes so many times and yet f- find success even in areas that were new to you. Success comes in many forms, right? So when I had my management
2: company where I was ended up being representing talent and being in television production as well, being a TV show creator, executive producer, there were times where you weren't making any money. And then when you did make money, it was potentially a windfall. So what does success look like? Success could be how you feel about yourself. Success could be how other people perceive you. Success is happiness. So it looks, it's, it's, it shares different forms along your journey.
1: Yeah. That, that's uh, an incredible description. To me, you know, I think of you as successful because I see you as fun and fabulous and absolutely inspiring. And, uh, you know, so much of what you have accomplished in your life and created for other people um, is chronicled in your book, which I'm a huge fan of. Uh, the book is called From C Student to the C-Suite. And it's an Amazon bestseller. It's uh, it's filled with modern day inspiration for life and business and relationships. And based on the book, like I mean, one of the things that really stands out is your superpower in being able to connect very emotionally um, through your communication, whether it's um, you know, speaking or writing or uh, just meeting people. Um, so how did you discover that?
2: I think when you let your true self show to other people and they get to see all sides of you. So you think I have this fabulous side and I may, I may have a fabulous side, (laughs) (laughs) but I also have a very quirky side and a very accidental funny. I'm a lot of Lucy, Lucy ball in business. So people get to see my quirkiness. They get to see me flounder. They get to see me put my foot in my mouth. I think the minute you could be your true self with people as much as possible, it allows them to be themselves.
1: Yeah. You're you're like uh, Lucille Ball and Betty White mixed
2: together. <laughs> Absolutely. My two, my, my two heroes, 100%. I love old souls. Anyone that doesn't, you should have mentors that are much, much older than you and much, much younger than you.
1: Yeah. So- it, and when you, uh, you know, talk about showing up authentically and just being yourself, that's easier said than done because what prevents us from showing up is because we worry about judgment and criticism. So what has helped you sort of show up that way? Because you also talk about a period of time where you questioned you know, whether you would be accepted for you, who you are. So what helped you kind of step into that authentic space?
2: I was a combination of both. On one side, I felt like I was a complete fake and I fooled everybody. I had written this in the book, Am I a Fake?, a whole section. Not to find out right before the book got published at the time that imposter syndrome was a real thing. And now imposter syndrome's discussed. When I had written the book, there was no discussion on it. So I was putting it all out there. And on the other side of that, really understanding that I had it kind of made me think maybe other, well, other people did have it because the definition in imposter syndrome is feeling like a fake or fraud, but understanding that 70% of successful people have it. Yeah. And that side, I was telling you that when I'm my fumbling, funny self and not my totally competent self, (laughs) it allowed other people to show other sides of them. Like, remember that theory, we all Mm -hmm. put our pants on the same way? Well, (laughs) they do, and CEOs don't necessarily know what they're talking about either. That's why the (laughs) smartest thing to do is surround yourself by people that are smarter than you. Um, And I think that once that feels good and it feels right, um, that will show that it's working. Now, that intimidation factor, that's something I didn't have, but I do work with people to get through it. And I think understanding that everyone's dysfunctional. I think imposter syndrome could be understanding it could be an asset for your success. Mm -hmm. Either understanding other people have it or how it could play to your strengths. If you have imposter syndrome, there's a good chance it's because you're pushing yourself to go further and you're taking chances. And if you let people see that you may not know everything and you need your help, That's when your EQ kicks in and people can be empathetic and they can teach you and they can mentor you. And that's how you build strong relationships. You have people believe in you and you have people bringing you up. That's an emotional connection. That's hard to break when they want responsibility for your success. Let everyone take responsibility for your
0: success. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, And, and you share so much about EQ versus IQ and, um, just in your own journey, you know what role that has played and and the times where you know worrying about the graduate degrees or all the pedigree and all of that, and yet you have had results that far exceed uh, the norm, i mean especially in the really hard things like being able to get access to influential people or being able to close really large deals or negotiate things or Um, mend things that are broken, all of those are very rare skills. So tell us a little bit more about your perspective on the power of EQ and also to give hope and inspiration to um, women out there that might think, I don't have the perfect resume. In fact, one of the things you also talk about is the resume versus CV, right? So tell us a little bit more about someone who might be looking at their LinkedIn profile or their resume and saying, "Mm, I don't have what it takes.
2: Okay, what? so let's let's do that, and then let's go into the EQ. Um, as far as your resume is concerned, I mean, studies are showing now that people are looking more for a cultural fit. Just because you have gone to an Ivy League school doesn't mean you're going to be a fit at a certain company. So you have to really look at what are your unique skill sets and how do you share that, mm-hmm. right? Um, the same way that a boardroom today should not be necessarily nothing against white men, but it shouldn't be all white men (laughs) in a room because we need perspective. We need to understand different points of view, maybe a different market that we can go after. It's the same way when you're looking to sell yourself for a job. How can you fit uniquely into a company? And sometimes Hmm. having a resume I find confines you. Um, It does put you in a box. Once you get more successful, you can most likely just get away with a, a bio or your linkedin most people just go to linkedin anyway and they peruse your social media i think the thing with women wanting them to understand i think it's what's such what's so great right now and what's happening in the world and what people are looking for let me just give an i want to give a a real example because according to the World Economic Forum, by ch- this year, by 2020, it's our ability to problem solve, think creatively, mm-hmm. coordinate with other people, manage people. Um, your connection, it's, it's, if you can focus being on compassionate, sustainable relationships, you're gonna see the benefit of this play out in the long run as your career growth expands into even uncharted territories. I really I know this to be a fact because of the research I do. We're going to be a people-first approach to business.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, that's a skill that women are naturally gifted with, our ability we to are. connect and uh, collaborate and rise up in community. It's, it's we're, we're, is innate to us.
2: Right, and we, you know what, we are these great people, and we're so empathetic. And empathy is going to be is by far as a leader the most important skill set. And coming up in the ranks, but as an empathetic leader, I find if you're people are intimidated to talk to you, that's when the business is going to go south. You need to be you need to be empathetic to the people that work for you and be a safe environment. And girls are naturally more gifted in emotional intelligence, and the weight that emotional intelligence has on your success is vast. 85% of getting business is due to your EQ and mm-hmm. 15% is due to logic. And people will work with the underdog and they will work you, with you if they like you and trust you. So all those great qualities you have, the nurturing qualities, even your vulnerability shows that you're human. Mm-hmm. Those, those Those could work to your advantage.
1: Right, because as much as AI and automation might change the future of work, the one thing robots can do is have empathy. Exactly. <laughs> and, or have EQ. So it's, it's uh, excelling at the things that uh, machines can take over. And, and this is a it. natural
2: trait that women have. So how do you Absolutely. hone in on it? And how do you take the fear away? But 800, just so you, this is why it's so important in the digital age, which I know is an important conversation with you, is that 830 million jobs are going to be eliminated by 2030.
1: So, Tammy, you, uh, you mentioned how women are innately skilled in connecting and building relationships and also have the gift of empathy and higher emotional intelligence. Tell us your perspective on this interesting dilemma then, because so many women have a huge network of friendships and relationships, and yet they are often embarrassed or feel awkward about asking those very same people for help or asking them for business. You have mastered that. You're one of the best at it. So tell us, what guidance would you give and why that dilemma?
2: And there's certain things that men feel more comfortable in in general, and I would say bragging is one of them. They have no issue with bragging. We look at it as tacky number 1 number 2 i would say that men they don't have to be they don't have to fight for perfection before they ask for something women were raised to be perfect right we mm-hmm. had potentially our bows in our hair it was the messages we were getting
0: mm-hmm. when we
2: were young so if something's not perfect we don't want to ask for the favor correct Yeah. Um, in business I would say that when you're applying for a job, men will apply for a job if they're 50% qualified. Women apply for a job if they're 100% qualified. In addition, when going to companies, we take a job and we put our head down trying to master every detail before we show our results. Men, they take the job, they're doing their work, and they're already networking within the organization to see who they need to align with to go ahead and get the confidence get the mentorship, and speak up to get ahead. We're already worrying about our, pro- our process and our projects to be perfect.
1: And trying That's to do needed. it all alone.
2: <laughs> yes, and we're doing it all alone. Very good point. Completely siloed. Um, the thing is with women, if you, I think sometimes just educating, sometimes how men do it, and give credit where the men are, get credit, where credit is due. I try mm-hmm. to point this out to women. Well, men are doing this a lot better than we are. And I think if we make women aware of just even statistics or how their men potentially are approaching business, we might follow suit as well and understanding that we need to ask. I know it's Mm -hmm. the most brutal thing, but if you get one meeting, it gives you the courage to get the next meeting. And there's a momentum. It's the same way I was saying early on when I see people respond to my personality because I see them start to be themselves, I light up. It's a high that I can't explain for me. It's, it's such a high, but then it's I'm confident enough to approach someone else that seems very unapproachable.
1: Right, so you're getting that evidence and that feedback that exactly. this is actually working positively, so you do more of it. But you wouldn't get that feedback if you never tried it in the first place. Exactly.
2: And I think the hardest part for girls is to ask, but the best way to do it is to ask. One thing that I know might come up at some point in here is you could, a good way for girls to do this would be find, really find an accountability partner. Um, I still do this today because no matter how confident I seem to do this all the time, I go into my lows where I just, it's just not feeling it. So I will ask someone, will you make sure that I've approached the following people by a date and time? Mm. So I still do that today.
1: Wow, that that's a... That's a fantastic habit and accountability uh, tip. Um, what, is, um, what is a very practical um, tip you could give to our audience about how to, let's say they have someone within their organization or potentially an investor or somebody that they want to approach about an idea or simply just to you know, get access to them, but they don't know how, literally don't know the words are the right approach. Could you share a little bit about how they might go about doing that?
2: (laughs) This question does come up. I was on a panel recently with an investment group out of Israel. And it's funny enough, it's all women that run the second largest investment group out of Israel. And this question did come up and her answer was chutzpah. And I know that doesn't (laughs) sound like what everyone (laughs) wants to hear, but she said, you need a little bit of chutzpah. Um, the one thing I try to do with people is you don't have to – you can ask to compare notes. You can ask for their feedback. You could ask for feedback. Ask for – one, one quote I used to, I, I've used in speaking engagements. Ask for money. Get advice ask for advice, get money twice.
1: Mm, I love that. (laughs) Okay. Guess
2: who that is? Do you know who is that quotes from? No. Pitbull. (laughs) We can Uh sing it. (laughs)
1: Ask for advice, get money twice.
2: (laughs) And honestly, it's the best. It really is the best quote for business. And you wonder why he's a great businessman on top of being a great musician.
1: That, that's uh, also a great tip for our listeners because Tammy is an investor. So if you <laughs> ask her for advice, you can get money twice.
2: <laughs> I find when I used to always ask for help from someone that was, I looked up to, um, if I ask for advice, they want, like I mentioned before, oftentimes people do like to mentor and they do like to take credit for your success. So let them. And you know, you ask for one meeting. If one, as an investor, if one meeting is not right, they you could ask for three more meetings. Oh, so you're not the right person. Can you make three? Can you make some introductions to people you think that might be appropriate?
1: Right. So, kind of um, first off, always asking because if you don't even begin the process, you can't get anywhere with it. And um, secondly, once you ask for that uh, connection, if they're not the right answer or that's not the right um, opportunity, asking for a referral. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Um, when you um, were first starting out and sort of discovered your you know, gift of connecting with people and being able to get into any room, what helped you gain that initial access? Because, you know, it's a lot easier to look back and say, okay, now you've got this powerful road on the decks. But what was that beginning part of it, you know, that helped you get there?
2: I think no matter what you are, what level you are, are in business, if you can add value to somebody else, that changes the course of your relationship. Mm-hmm. So let me give it at the most basic level. You meet someone and you talk to them and you learn a little bit about them that's not about business or is about business and you could send them an article when you, that you had read. That's a good way and an easy way to add value.
1: Oh, that's a really um, great tip.
2: Another, you know, finding ways to add value, saying, oh, you like sports. Well, wouldn't it be fun? I can introduce you to a friend of mine that works at the NFL. Well, just because they're, they're really big in one part of their career doesn't mean they're even comfortable enough to build relationships in what their hobby might be, et cetera. So finding ways that you can add value in more of a personal way or a business way always changes the dynamic of a relationship. I can give another example. And how, because if you're short-sighted, that's not the way to do business anyway. You have to look at relationships for the long run. So I had worked with a CMO from one of the major credit card companies. And funny enough, I really wanted to talk to him. And when he got off stage at this one event, everyone was swarming him. And when the lights are on and you're getting all the tension, it's great. But then once the lights go out, people are re- were really intimidated to talk to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So in this one case, I pretended I was going to get a sandwich. And I'm like, I've been wanting to talk to you. He's like, well, have a seat because it's lonely at the top. He didn't want to <laughs> sit alone. <laughs> so a fun-filled you know, day of drinking pina coladas, talking about architecture, letting him know what I already did for the company, how I can be helpful. I also shared a story with him about how people were perceiving him in a loving, honest way. He was a new C suite executive, and I was having trouble moving forward on my business because people were intimidated by him and they were nervous about their jobs, etc. So I told him (laughs) in the nicest way that he was cock blocking my business. (laughs) (laughs) And we laughed. And, you know, I waited to go in for the kill. After we had pina coladas and after we talked about architecture and swapped photos and, and really <laughs> had this great friendship already built. So anyway, now this guy, I already has set up the meetings I needed for the future to grow the business. He ends up leaving the company. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, what's next? He's like, I don't know. I'm a sports fan. This is what made me think of it, et cetera. I said, well, I have a whole list of people you should meet. So what did I do? I got on the phone and I set up general interviews for the guy I needed business from in the first place. It Um, should be a long, long life of these relationships. And you have to look at it like not just for the win at the moment. How does this relationship look potentially in 10 years?
1: Right. Because in each case, you're really the starting point is simply caring enough about the other person and figuring out how to create value for them as opposed to focusing on the taking and what's in it for me right this minute. Right. So it's, that's uh, great for, especially for women that are just starting out in their career that might have just graduated from college and are in their first jobs and they're looking at their LinkedIn network and it's really tiny or not very influential. They're looking at their peer groups or, you know how do they get access, and they might not have enough experience to feel like they're credible enough to build C-suite relationships. But your advice is essentially saying it doesn't matter where you are, mm-hmm. what you know, or um, really where you stand in your career. It really comes down to who do you, um, who can you help, and how can you create value for them and something that's meaningful for them, and taking a long-term view of a relationship for life. Because then, if you think of it as friends for life versus you know, a client for now, uh, it really sets it up f- to be a mutually beneficial relationship for the long haul.
2: Yes. And your peers today, I mean, if you're a manager and you have manager relationships, that's great. You're going to grow up together. One thing I used to do when I was in the services business versus when I was in the entertainment business is I would take a two-prong approach. I would really hone in on the relationships of the people that were doing the work every day. And I would also simultaneously work on the highest level relationships I can.
1: Um, And did you take a different approach to the two um, sets of relationships? Not really. And I think that's one of the, if you could understand
2: that everyone is really is human and we all have men or women, we do have... Similar feelings. They may come out different ways, but we can have our insecurities. No one wants to think that They're not liked as an executive. They want to feel normal They want to feel like they can have a regular conversation with people I pretty much had taken the same approach from anyone any level anywhere anyhow. if that's the person that parks my car to you know if it was a manager to manager level of a position to my to my waitress or waiter, to the CEO of a company, and by the way, you get the best VIP service when you're nice to the valet parker and the waitress or right. who, the hostess. You're going to be tre- you're going to look like a superstar when you do take the C-suite executive out to dinner, and they will they do ju- people. I judge people on how they treat other
1: people. Absolutely, and and this is such an important life lesson. Uh, and thank you for sharing that because we we do find that people tend to modulate their behavior based on the person on the other side, right? So if it's someone who you uh, consider, um, you know, at a lower level than you, then you might not treat them with the respect and the kindness that everybody deserves. And meanwhile, if it's someone who's very influential or powerful, we get, we almost become servile in some ways, right? We, We sort of bend over backwards for them Instead of what your advice is, is that you can have a two pronged approach for two sets of relationships, but treat everyone with equal kindness, respect, and, and authenticity.
2: The same way you want to be treated, that's a great rule of thumb how yeah. you would treat everyone. And that is a great way to get business. Because you're gonna, people are the tiebreaker. So if there are a couple companies or there's a couple people they want to hire, they're going to pick the one they like and they trust and they. That they could relate to the most,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that res- is respectful, um, and is going to be um, agile. You know, it's going to be—they're like yeah. not going to be set in a way that they can have a really honest, open conversation if it's good or if it's bad.
1: That's true. Um, tell us about your of all of these successes, and I'm sure many failures along the way as well. Highlight perhaps you know what your proudest accomplishment is, and it doesn't have to be some kind of um, you know number or data point. More about something you're genuinely proud of, and then also um, perhaps a failure that taught you an important lesson. Okay, let's
2: let's start with what I think is my most proud. It is about it is the book that I had written because the book really encompasses so much that's a real part of me. And it, it documents the fact of how proud I am of my relationships and my friendships that I am so blessed and privileged to have made from the earliest part of my career or you know, even through childhood, mm-hmm. these relationships are well, who, What makes me who they are? If I had to thank anyone, it's the people that support me and believe in me. Yeah. Period. Um. So the book, the book got gave me a chance to take a really hard look at myself and look where I fell short, and also look where I succeeded and really, it's still, to me, it's so obvious where the success was, was my ability to have these lifelong relationships. On the failure, which the book also covers, and I call it failing up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think we fail. What does that mean? We're on the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> right? <laughs> we need to be, listen, I needed to be, sometimes my failures felt so strong And so scary that I wouldn't be able to pay my bills and do everything that, you know, in therapy, I felt like I had to be scraped off the floor, you know? Mm -hmm. So we all have perceptions of how we see people, but it's not always reality. So I had a company that was supposed to be like the next big thing. And we, when we shut it down in 2008, I really thought everyone was going to see me as a failure. Mm Mm-hmm. And going out and asking people, you know, for an opportunity or going to get jobs, it just was embarrassing, period. I was embarrassed mm-hmm. that I failed at some, something that was supposed to be just a done deal. And what I ended up finding out in that process was no one thought about me like that at all. If anything, they thought I had courage to go for it. And they wish if they didn't ever start a career or do anything on start a, you know, entrepreneurship journey. They were just so impressed that I tried, period. Right. Yeah. And so I looked at it as in my, my, I think my failure, I looked at it as my identity, but it wasn't my identity. And I think what we do with failure is we, we start to make an identity instead of a stepping stone to something else.
1: Oh, those are powerful words. Uh, I love that. Um, don't define failure. As an identity, just as a stepping stone to the next level of success. That's really powerful because that is so much of what tends to stop us dead in our tracks because we worry so much about becoming that failure or being that failure and how other people are perceiving us, judging us, um, and thinking about us that we can't move out. Failing
2: again because you know how hard it hurts.
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It hurts. Yeah, we've, we've both mastered the art of failing up. So.
2: Yeah, we, do. We, yeah, we have, we do, we may do it again. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Long life ahead, lots of cocktails in our future and failing up. Exactly. <laughs> my, my mom used to
2: say, you know, it's like you have to take risks and it should feel scary. It should feel intimidating. She always thought when I wasn't taking, it was more concerning if you're not scared about something when it's a risk. That's weird. Yeah. We should all feel nervous and we should all be excited when taking chances. And when we take chances, we live. We get out of the gray. We live Mm. high and we live low. But you'll never know the true highs unless you know the true lows in life. Oh. You'll never know.
1: So true. Yeah. I mean, how do you even know what happiness feels like if you haven't felt absolutely low and depressed someday? Yes.
2: I mean, you can live in the gray and you probably will not, you can live in that that safe zone and you'll probably never have imposter syndrome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things I love about imposter syndrome actually is, is the fact that it's, uh, people that have, uh, a track record of success that tend to suffer from it more right or that are high achieving so we should tell ourselves that if you do suffer from imposter syndrome it's actually evidence that you are successful exactly that's what I tell everyone
2: when someone doesn't raise their hands when I do public speaking I'm like does anyone have imposter syndrome and I was like well that's a bummer and when they <laughs> do raise their hand I congratulate them and I stand up because that means they're successful exactly
1: exactly <laughs> that's
2: awesome
1: thank you go. So as you look forward, um, you know, you've been in the digital space and, uh, you know, you've got this incredible vantage point as um, an investor as well to see a myriad different types of companies and products and services that are all at the cutting edge of innovation. You also meet a lot of uh, great entrepreneurs and leaders all over the world. As you look ahead to the future, and we're sort of in this Cutting edge, you know, digital disruption era and all of that. There's so much talk about AI, automation, all of those things in the future of work. What do you believe is the key to success and especially something that women should be focused on?
2: Yes. consider. I, I agree with you. It feels like it's scary and daunting, especially when you hear numbers like 830 million jobs are going to be eliminated by 2030. I mean, that's a scary thought. But what cannot be replaced, and I think you even mentioned it earlier, is being empathetic and having the relationships. Even if some things are automated, some you have to sell a service that might be automated. And it so goes back to your ability to have people believe in you that your service is the best. Believe in you that your service is the best. But they still have to believe in you. And um, it's going to be a people-first economy. It's going to mm-hmm. be what breaks you away from everyone else.
1: Yeah, because that's the one currency that nobody can replicate or take away from you.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Fantastic. Well, Tammy, this has been so insightful and inspirational. Um, Tell our listeners the best way to connect with you and also share maybe any upcoming news or announcements you have. This is easy
2: breezy, guys, (laughs) girls, gals. (laughs) (laughs) I am on social media. My handle is at Queen Connector. Funny enough. I love that. Queen Connector. How that
1: wasn't taken is beyond me, but I got well, it. Well, because it was meant for Tammy. <laughs>
2: it was, it, it definitely, Most definitely. We we have a mutual friend, funny enough, um, Nikki and I, who on her tagline of her website is The Connector. And she had seen mine and she goes, I just want to blow my brains out that you're Queen Connector. I'm like, just <laughs> the
1: Connector. I mean, it's so not fair. <laughs> well, you'll always be The Queen Connector. Nobody's taking hey! that crown away from you. <laughs> And um, my
2: website is H-O-L-Z-M-A-N. T-A-M-I-H-O-L-Z-M-A-N.com. And you'll find out all the great things I do between investing, advising. One of the things that I have just been over the moon about is been coaching others to use their special skill sets, skill sets to get ahead. And obviously, I love speaking and and, and helping empower
1: people to, to get ahead. That's amazing. Well, that is uh, truly an inspiring story. And so um, I would love for our listeners to check out your website. And more importantly, definitely get a copy of that book. That was, uh, for me, a little uh, tidbit that I, even Tammy doesn't know is that I use that book as a little pick me up because it's filled with Tammyisms, exactly what you need on a day where um, you might be struggling with that little hotspot that you need for a meeting or uh, a confidence boost. I love looking at a book for inspiration. So I highly recommend getting a copy of the book from C Student to the C Suite, where you can learn how to build influential relationships, get access to decision makers you know, close those large deals, or maybe even how to get a dinner reservation someplace fabulous. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> and and most of all, how to always be authentic, always be kind. So Tammy, thank you so much for a fabulous interview and all of your wisdom. Um, we are going to share all of um, the show notes and links to your resources and social media on the website i'm barrierscom where listeners can figure out how to get a hold of you and get access to all your fabulousness thank you for i thank you
2: and i am so proud of what you and monica are doing it's incredible and it's game-changing for women and so i am so appreciative you have me on here and um i'm so excited to follow your success
1: thank you tammy
0: you're welcome Share your comments and topic suggestions on IamBeyondBarriers.com, and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.